I'm not saying do that so that you're not profitable, but I'm saying finding a way to continue to profitably grow is a much better strategy generally than just slowing down the business. Because also, if you don't exit, you've now slowed down the business. That's going to make it even harder to sell in the future. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you want to grow your business bigger and faster? A free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find missed golden opportunities. I generally charge $150 or more per hour, but this would be free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing a few thousand dollars a month in sales already. Just visit myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit, and book in a time. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Look forward to speaking to you on your audit. Hi, folks. I'm speaking today to Scott Dietz of Northbound. We are talking about how to build a premium e-commerce business for sale, and there are six key areas to avoid. We're talking about the last three today. Uh, really important to think about this if you are never going to sell your business in your life, never mind if you are, because somebody is going to own your business in future. If it's going to be you, you should have a desirable business that people would want to own because you're going to have to own it. If you want to exit, you should have a desirable business that people want to own because somebody else will want to buy it. Either which way, folks, I swear this is one of the most overlooked ways of looking at business that I've ever seen. Uh, most people are operations focused. That's good, but I, I'm begging you, if that's you, to think about the bigger picture and create a sellable business, even if you're never planning to sell ever. Lecture over. Stay tuned. Scott is the expert in this stuff. Uh, he has, with his company, helped over half a billion dollars worth of Amazon and e-commerce exits happen. So let's stay tuned for his wisdom and uh, enjoy the show. And if you really focus on that, uh, you can drive it, which does then lead to to the the next deal killer. I, I love your point about you can create competitive advantage on the back end that this buyer loved it because they had positive. We had positive networking capital. We had a cash account that was building, as opposed to always having to put out more cash. The next one goes back to your point, and and the the word I would use on it eliminating deal killers is around compliance. Now, most people don't think about compliance because it's one of the least sexy parts of the business, right? And when I talk about compliance, I'm going to refer to a few things that people need to have in order. The first one is your intellectual property compliance. So this means that your brand registry, any trademarks, any patents, anything along those lines. I'll give you a perfect example. We had somebody that they they got the trademark done for their business in their own name, not in the business name. The business went on to become very valuable. And when they wanted to exit, the core asset of the business wasn't inside the business. It was inside the person. And we had to now sell the asset from the person to the business, which created a taxable event. And then we had to drop down the value of the asset of the trademark, but it was a a wonderful trademark. So those types of compliance things, and you touched on another one, which is Amazon terms of service compliance, right? 
We all understand that it's not a black and white issue. It's an issue of gray, but you need to understand at what line for your particular niche are buyers going to eventually say, this is too risky of a business. And the best way to increase the value of your business isn't just by increasing the numbers. That's what everybody talks about. I like to introduce the concept of reducing the risk because a buyer pays for you the value of a business they see divided by their perceived risk. If you think about it like a numerator and a denominator, and if the one business is scored to a risk of a one and another one is scored to a risk of a two, if the second business truly is twice as risky, then it has to have twice the return. So a great way for you to be working on ahead of it is to avoid the deal killer of doing a compliance test for your business. And we'll talk about how you can reach out to us if you, if you want to at some point here, but we have compliance checklists that are designed specifically for that to say across your products. If you're in child uh, uh, niches, you need to have a certain level of product safety compliance. You need to have all of that information stored in what's called a data room. You need to be compliant with Amazon terms. You need to be compliant with financials. You need to be compliant with legal and IP. And the important point about it is if you wait to do all of those things until you're in front of a buyer, two bad things have happened. One is you're going to have to work 120 hours a week to get a deal done because you got to do it all at once. And two, you've made mistakes along the way that, as I like to say, are written in ink, not pencil, uh, and you just can't erase them away. And you've made your business less valuable than thinking about it proactively. So the action item on this one is avoid the deal killers around compliance by doing a self-compliance check or test more than 12 months before you go uh, to market, ideally right away, but certainly within a couple years before you go to market and design the right compliance systems across those areas that I mentioned so that you don't wake up one day and have a really profitable business that's unsellable. Absolutely. That's pretty tragic. And I would say couple of things from not personal experience of selling a brand, but working with clients who sold their brands. I mean, this is not casual stuff. I know people who've had on a million pound deal, so just over a million dollar deal, 300,000 pounds in, in holdbacks, which is not the same as an earnout. It's not as positive as that. It's because they weren't sure about some legal aspects of intellectual property, ownership, all that nitty gritty stuff that feels like paperwork that some lawyer should take care of one day in a big corporate environment. That wasn't just revenue which amazon gets and we never see that was actual cash in his pocket or rather not in his pocket three hundred thousand cash so and yeah. that, that's a very concrete example of it it actually had a very very immediate impact on his personal cash cash not revenue not profit not theory and uh, i've seen quite a few of those things since in sort of different situations in relation to this so i think people don't take this seriously enough my father was a lawyer so i guess i'm more inclined to take it seriously than more than most but i think it's just very unprofessional to acts in a way that you want people to give you good money for something, but you haven't done the, the real homework that a grown-up business does. And it's easy to fall into that at the beginning of growing a business. And why not? You shouldn't be spending 50000 on legal fees in your first year when you make £50,000 in revenue or dollars. But I do think there come, that time comes earlier than most people think, right? So if, you, if you've got a seven-year arc, maybe you do it in year three <laughs> rather than year seven and a half when you go, oh my God. $300,000. I want that money. It's mine. Why? You? Yeah. So anyway, you, we've made the point, but that I would say the other thing I've seen that people really don't take enough care of is just really basic stuff with the lawyers that I've spoken to in this space that you can sometimes be selling a product that you are not allowed to sell, period. 
And it's obviously a mm-hmm. heartbreaking day to discover that, but it's even more heartbreaking to do it for three years and then discover that the business is not sellable and actually been acting illegally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, so you made, you made a really good point I want to highlight for everybody on the podcast here. All of the mistakes or risks that you've created in the business before the day that you sell the company. So let's say that you have a company and I'm going to help you exit and we're going to get a premium valuation on the company and we've got a buyer in front of us. We're going to sell for a 5X multiple. It's a $5 million deal and it closes on, uh, let's use Halloween, okay? October 31st, okay? All of the liability that you built up in this business, whether that be you treated an employee wrong and you might have a potential lawsuit, whether that be Amazon shutting down a product because you didn't have the right to sell it, all of that liability stays with you as the seller. Now, my job as your advisor, and and I will say this, we are experts in this, is to minimize that liability as best we can through negotiations. But the pure fact is, is that if you have a bunch of we call them skeletons in the closet. If you have all of that risk that you've built up, either through a holdback or through what's called a future indemnity claim, you are on the hook for that. And then the buyer on the flip side, all of the things that happen after the sale, you're no longer liable for. So if a buyer decides to bid on keywords after Halloween on November 15th, and that shuts down a listing, that's not your problem. But most people don't really recognize and think about that because, oh, you create a little bit of a mistake here. You did a little bit of a mistake there and you can actually sort of accumulate. Oh, you didn't pay sales taxes on non-Amazon sales because it wasn't collected. And now you've built up a liability there. All of that comes away from your purchase price, or at least has a risk of coming away from your purchase price. So again, I, I always like to say the true way to evaluate your deal is what we call the lifetime effective multiple. Scott, these skeletons in the closet aren't great fun. <laughs> We've got to have a way of dealing with this. I know you've got a concept that you were sharing with me before the, the show of the lifetime effective multiple. What, what is that? How does that tie into this? Yeah. So m- most people, when they sell their businesses, they, they will quote, um, I got a multiple of five or I got a multiple of three. And what I always like to explain to people is that without the context for that, it's almost impossible to say whether or not you got, quote unquote, a premium or a good deal for your business. Because oftentimes you'll have a lot of people, this happened to a lot of sellers, they were very excited to sell for a 6X multiple two years ago, but they did it with a stabilization payment and an earnout. And when those weren't hit, they ended up only getting a three and a half or a four times earnings multiple. So for the, the basic introduction, when I use the word multiple, I'm thinking of a multiple of your trailing 12 months profitability, often returned, referred to as EBITDA or SDE, seller's discretionary earnings. And, and the co- question that everybody's always trying to do is to say things like, oh, I got a high multiple, but a high multiple with a lot of risk in it happening may or may not be better. And so The answer that solves that is the term that we use called lifetime effective multiples. And what that means is when you uh, take all of the payments that you received on day one, the ones that you received after 12 months stabilization, maybe the ones you got for your inventory, what you got for your earnout, or we do a lot of rolled equity deals where you can actually roll your position along with your buyer. And if their value goes up, you can get more money. And when you add all of that money together, 
and you divide that by what your trailing month's earnings was when you exited, that's the true multiple that matters. It, now, you won't know it on day one of your deal, but the important point is, is that you need to think with that in mind, because if you have two different buyers at the table and one maybe is offering you a four multiple and the other one's offering you a three and a half multiple, but one of them you believe in, the one that's a three and a half, and you're going to get that. And the other one you don't think has the ability to grow your brand. Many people have made the mistake, and this gets to one of the other deal killers I'll mention, is that they didn't focus on the lifetime effective multiple. So they actually didn't do diligence the buyer and they picked the wrong buyer that couldn't grow their brand either because they didn't have the experience or maybe they had bought too many other brands and had gotten unfocused. And so if the buyer doesn't grow the brand and you don't hit your contingent payments, your lifetime effective multiple is lower than another offer that you should have taken. So the learning lesson is to look at and against a forecast, what you actually believe will be across all of the payments, do what's called a weighted average analysis against the likelihood of it happening. And that's a better approximation of your multiple rather than running around. Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudits.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. It's, it's nice to say I got a big multiple, but then when it doesn't happen, it can be very depressing. Absolutely. Yes, it's like this kind of money got, I, I guess, in theory, something like a 5x multiple. But then if 30% of that was held back, well, how certain is that multiple? And the answer is we're not sure. And you have to calculate that probability, as you were saying. And I think really that's risk. That's a, a risk for the seller of the business, I guess, you're talking about. PVC, we're talking about the risk for the buyer of a business. If you have unresolved IP issues, Amazon terms of service problems, whatever it is. And I think what you're touching on there in both cases that I think is really important and I don't hear talks about it enough, so I'm glad you brought it up. In my opinion, it's not enough, is that it's about risk and an evaluation of risk on both sides of the table yes. and, and putting a number on that and in a rational, well, a semi-rational way. It's never entirely rational, it seems to me. Somehow there's a, there's a feeling, a gut element of, I don't want to take the risk of selling my business without 100% upfront or the same on the buyer side of the table. But I think that's very intelligent. And I think the truth is that these are multiple there are multiple factors, aren't there, on both sides of the, the table, and the multiple is one of them. The risk profile is another. The deal structure you touched on is another. I'm going to get too too much down the rabbit hole there because I think I'll take us off track, but I think it's very important that evaluation of risk and pricing of risk is what you're talking about there. Yeah, essentially, and a lot of people don't do it. And, and I'll hear a lot of people say, and particularly people that maybe don't live in this world all day long, they'll say, oh, always take 100% cash in your exit. It's it's always better to get the cash. And the, and the answer to that is it depends. It, it's not that it's a yes, because oftentimes 100% cash buyer are bottom feeders. They don't pay a premium multiple. 
I, I don't like sellers to listen to somebody that just kind of simplistically says, well, if you take an earnout, they, then you're stupid. Or if I, you should always take hundred uh, percent cash. Cause if I have a three times multiple at hundred percent cash, oftentimes as an advisor, I can negotiate a higher upfront cash by actually introducing an earnout uh, because I can say to them, well, the value of this company is a real high flyer. We're willing to bet on the future as well. And so we'd like a four multiple and we're willing to roll uh, 25% of it into an earnout. So I still got the same 3X multiple, but then I got the upside on top of that. And so that is the pricing of the risk and the forecasting, which leads to a, another deal killer I really do want to mention. There's oftentimes a lot of debate of whether or not you should slow down the growth of your business before you exit. Really focus on maximizing profitability, don't launch any new products, all of those things. In general, um, uh, while we want you to be conscious of profit in the 12 months before you exit, the key thing you have to focus on is that when you think about stabilization payments and earnouts, which almost every credible buyer is going to force you to take to some level, oftentimes you're uh, being uh, penny smart and pound foolish. Because what you're doing is you're, you're slowing down the growth, which makes the deal more risky, and the buyer isn't going to see any upside in the deal, so they're going to give you a lower multiple. So you, you might have maximized the profit to 500000 of profit rather than 400000 but if it drops the multiple from even, if I take a $400,000 profit times a three multiple, that's $1.2 million. If I take a $500,000 business and I drop the multiple down to 2.5, it's 1.25. So you did all this work to maximize the profit, but it really didn't matter because you weren't able to get the multiple because the buyer didn't see the growth, which gets back to my first point of the deal killer, which is if you're not thinking from the buyer's lens, you're thinking wrong. And Everybody thinks that buyers buy businesses based on the trailing 12 months historical, and that is incorrect. The buyer doesn't get any money from your historical earnings. They only care about your future earnings in the business. So you need to present a positive story about the future potential of your particular business because that's the earnings that they're going to get to keep. They calculate it based on historical but they value it based on the future potential. And you want to accelerate your growth before you exit, because then they will see that trend line going up and up and they'll pay you a higher value for your business. I'm not saying do that so that you're not profitable, but I'm saying finding a way to continue to profitably grow is a much better strategy generally than just slowing down the business. Because also if you don't exit, you've now slowed down the business. That's going to make it even harder to sell in the future. Yeah, that all makes total sense. I, I would say they calculate based on the past, but value based on the future is, is a real takeaway sentence for me. And I would say, if you want to put it in simple terms for me as a, as a buyer of businesses, or I'm starting to acquire them now and work on that side of the table, the, the past is about the trailing 12 months and the last three years, I'd insist on at least three years of profit and loss statements. Personally, I think most uh, buyers would as well. I want to see the, the trend there. And then, yes, that, that's what gives me the number that I'd start on the SDE. And then the multiple that I consider offering would be based on extrapolating that trend out into the future. So exactly right. It's, it's calculated based on the past, but value based on the future. That's really great. The other thing I would say is I've been on the other side of that. Even today, I was, somebody was asking me, I was talking to a, somebody who may introduce me to some business owners, not a business broker, but he runs an agency. And I'm trying to do off market deal origination as a, as a buyer. And he said, what multiples do you offer on businesses? 
I said, well, it totally depends really. And I said also, that's not necessarily a relevant question for either side of the, the tail. If you don't talk about deal structure and he said, oh, typical deal structure is this. And I said, well, yeah, it was two years ago, but things change every year as well. And so you can't even just take what you did 12 months ago, 24 months ago with the aggregators buying like crazy drunken people. You know? I <laughs> can't take that as a norm for 2023 where e-commerce has actually shrunk year on year for the first time ever, right? So it's, it's all different every year, I think, as well. That's what strikes me. Yeah, and, and that leads to the, the, the point. I, one of the points I want to make is because selling a business is harder today than it was before doesn't mean that you shouldn't focus on it. It actually means you should focus on it more, okay? Because the fact is it's still going to be more than half of the money you ever take home. That fundamental principle hasn't changed. So the need to think about your exit hasn't changed. And people that might not want to exit, um, I always say, if you're not exiting to someone else, then you're exiting to yourself. And you deserve to get funding into your business so that you can pull cash out of your business, not guarantee loans, and get money into another diversified stock. Because you basically, a lot of people have, it'd be like having a $5 million stock and not buying a mutual fund or diversifying it at all. So because it's gotten harder, what is the appropriate response? Not get depressed and give up. It's work harder to plan uh, more in advance to be able to deal with the environment that it is today. And that's one of my key takeaways that I want everyone to, to think about and, and to find, frankly, partners like ourselves or others that are willing to dive in and work with you for a longer period of time because there are more challenges today and you might have to reposition the business or or you might have to restructure your financials because they're not accurate, which is another uh, uh, a big deal killer is having inaccurate financials and not having them be fully accrual based. And so I th that's the key message. I want this to be inspiring. We, we talk about deal killers and I always say the best way to get a deal done is to, uh, if you get rid of all the reasons why a deal can't happen, <laughs> you've dramatically increased the likelihood that you're going to reach the financial freedom goal that you got on, many people got on this e-commerce journey in the first place for. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of very, very intelligent points you're making, some very sophisticated points as well that I don't often hear talked about. So obviously you guys know a huge amounts about this. So we also talk about who you serve before we let you go and, and go and serve people and what you do for people. So first of all, who do you serve? Is it it's a particular size of business that you would work with? Or yeah. Minimum? So hi historically Northbound, we have focused on what we call premium exits for premium sellers. And, and there's this idea that we have is that 80% of the way that we can get you a higher valuation from your company isn't through better negotiating. We, 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 we know we're really, really good at negotiating deals. We have a lot of experience in it, but that actually might be the 20%, um, which is still very, it can be hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. But, but the 80% is actually in creating something that is worth a premium. And so who we serve is people that are um, looking to exit. We generally work with sellers that have more than uh, a million dollars of EBITDA um, as our bread and butter, but also um, uh, people that have more than, let's call it a half a million dollars of profit um, uh, that are on a good growth trajectory. So that would be sort of uh, who we typically work with. That said, because I, I got into this because of my experience I mentioned in the beginning, I really, really care about every seller's journey. And so from an educational perspective, we put out a lot of materials and do webinars like this to help the people that might not be at the half a million to get themselves on a growth trajectory and on the right pieces in place 
so that they will be valuable. So if you're, if you're out there listening to this and you fit in the category that you, uh, that you are, uh, have reached a certain size and you want to exit, we're, we're happy to work with people in that area. But if you haven't reached there and you feel like you maybe need to unlock some of the things to help you get to become valuable, uh, we have a whole uh, division of our company focused on creating premium valuation companies. And we like doing both of them together. And that might mean we work with, we, we actually, we, we started with a seller. They were worth maybe a couple million dollars when we started working with them. We worked with them for three years and, and we did an exit north of $50 million. Um, but we, we helped raise capital. We helped bring in uh, new product portfolios. And, and the, the, whether you work with Northbound or not, it's that constant thinking of the buyer in mind. How far along this journey do I want to go before I design my exit? And, and for many people, if they, they can get their first exit under their belt, it might not be for life-changing money, but it gets them the first money that they could reinvest in their next business and, and start to diversify their assets. So, so that's who we love to work with at, at Northbound. And, and we've got tools and processes that we can utilize that have worked in the past that you can use to, to help grow the value of your businesses. Fantastic. And I know that you've also got um, a couple of things that uh, we should mention. The first one is if you go to northboundgroup.com, you've got a special report there or whatever you call it, a workbook to help you work through some of this stuff as well, which is really, really helpful. And then the second thing is, Scott, if people want to get hold of you, I've got your email address here. Are you okay giving that out on air? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I see one of my roles in the industry is to, to answer any questions or, or to try and help advise whether or not you're a client of Northbound or not. So if you have any questions about exiting or the process or how you can make yourself more valuable, um, you can reach me at my first name, Scott, S-C-O-T-T, at northboundgroup.com. And if you do email that either with a question or if you are interested for people that are listening to this, I always like to reward people that want to take action, email that email address, and we will get you a checklist of what you would need to set up in your data room in order to exit. And the way I think about that is you can do it all through Google. We'll help you set it up. It's no charge, but you're essentially organizing your information about your business the way that a buyer is going to eventually want to see it. So rather than I always go back to the kitchen junk drawer, rather than all of it, all your information about your business in the kitchen junk drawer, we'll help you get the forks and the knives and the spoons and everything organized so that when you're ready to go to market, you can go to a buyer and say, look, I'm already organized. And that first impression does matter. So if you want to get the workbook, you want to get the data room set up, or you have any question, or if you're obviously interested and you've gotten some value here and you want to dive deeper into what your business might be worth and when you should exit, just reach out to scott at northboundgroup.com. Excellent. I, I've got to say, being on the buying side of the table now, I, it's just little old me. I'm not going to be going out putting $50 million offers in next week. But even so, that first impression of being organized and having clean data, I couldn't agree more. It's incredibly off-putting. Basically, everyone's going to be judging you, whether they're polite about it or not. I normally try and be polite initially, but you've got to go out there looking smart. And I always say to people that if they're used to thinking of their Amazon listing as something you take care to make sure the pictures are gleaming and all the keyword research is done and every single word has been refined 10 times by a professional copywriter. I think you've got to do the same with all the things to do with your business when you sell it, haven't you? And, and that level of care is something we're going to get in the habit of doing. And you guys are obviously the people to do it. Very, very experienced. So Scott, thank you so much for coming on. I know you've got to dash to the next call. We had some tech issues that we worked through, but for the moment, Scott Dietz from Northbound Group, many, many thanks for coming on the show. 
Absolutely, Michael. Certainly enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Talk soon. Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudits.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T dot com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.